0: Good morning. Good morning. Uh, my name is Morris Webster. I'm one of the elders here uh, at uh, New Covenant. As uh, Wayne Fowler often tells me, I never identify myself. And I still like I cause enough trouble that I don't need to have any specific identification. But I'm being obedient to him. Uh, I wanted to just, before I went to the throne of grace, just have you share two um, brief scriptures with you. Uh, one I'll probably have read it before you can find it. It's in First Thessalonians, verse sixteen and seventeen. It says, "Rejoice evermore and pray without ceasing." Uh, the next one I wanted to just take a quick a quick peek at is in Philippians, chapter two, uh, verse three. It says, "Let nothing be done." Through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. So, Father God, we come to you right now in the name of Jesus Christ and with the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord. Uh, not for self, but for Christ's sake, we come joining together corporately in this pastoral prayer. You have said that we should be of one mind, of one spirit, and even yet of one mouth, Lord. But we would be ignoring the elephant in the room, Lord, if we didn't talk about uh, your awesome splendor that has been displayed by the teaching that you've put on the hearts of the men of God here. We see our brother Bob Lightfoot breaking down the book of John in chapters 14 through 16 so we could determine our relationship between us and the Holy Spirit that you've provided for us. We see Pastor Robert bringing messages over the last few weeks about the influence of the Spirit of God upon each of our lives and how it is that uh, he directs uh, our path We've seen uh, in some of the community group meetings in the study of the book of Galatians, the uh, presence of the Holy Spirit somewhere between 14 to 18 times in those few chapters, giving us guidance as to how it is that we're supposed to uh, be being guided and led and give us encouragement to walk in the Spirit, Lord. We know it's not by accident there certainly with the word and the message being confirmed over and over again by different people without any collaboration uh, that uh, we get the message that you are speaking to us that you want us to do things in faith and in the spirit of God led by him, orchestrated by him and that you would get the glory for it, Lord so, we want to praise you right now for your word, for the word of God, and how it is that you work bringing illumination through your men servants in this day. Not men servant as distinct from women, but men would task that they're going to do. But so many times, the women in the body have such wisdom to impart to us that we tend to sometimes ignore. We're grateful for the teaching series that is going to be beginning with a little flash on this coming Saturday directed to the women but has so much application for each of us. So we could spend the rest of the day just praying our awesome appreciation for how you bless us through your word and through your living spirit who indwells us. But Lord, we, we must confess to you that we are a needy people. Over the last months, Lord, as we've uh, labored uh, to bring new direction and to bring new impacts for uh, this body called New Covenant, we've discovered that there are many pains by many people. It seems as if the loss of friends uh, over the years have wreaked a huge, a huge toll on some of our members, Lord. And we ask you to forgive us for any of those things that might have been done over the past that would make those people feel that they were not welcome here. It is the desire of our heart that all would be welcome here, old and young and middle-aged and uh, skinny and fat and knowledgeable and unknowledgeable and Saved and unsaved, Lords, uh, We know that you've established new covenant in this venue of uh, coastal Sussex to bring glory to your name. And it is not about any one of us, Lord. It is about us serving an almighty God and esteeming each other more worthy than ourselves. So... We, we do thank you, Lord, for the provision that we have. So many things. Even, Lord, we thank you for the dark days. We thank you, Lord, for the st- troubles and the tribulation that you have us go through. Differences of opinion, one with another interpretations one way or another. We're thankful because we know that you are guiding and leading and directing us, and through all this, you will be the one applying the bomb of Gilead. You are the one who will bring reconciliation. You are the one who will bring restoration, even in the midst of the storm, Lord. So our first petition, Lord, before we even look at our physical needs and our emotional needs and our physical needs is that you would humble each one of us under the mighty hand of God, that we would work together for your glory and your honor. We would pick up what Paul told the Galatians to take the things that are in the flesh in the 24th verse and crucify them so that they would have no authority over us. And that we could focus on the spiritual Direction that you want this body to travel, Lord. We also know, Lord, that sometimes when we try to focus on the spiritual things, we are overwhelmed by uh, physical issues, our, our health issues. So many, like our brother George's wife, who is suffering uh, a huge operation. So many others, Lord, have gone in for heart work and life-changing strokes and so many other things. And yet, Lord, we have seen the miracle of your healing hand on our body. You've taken people from the very depths of death's door and delivered them over the snare of the follower so that they could work in the kingdom and serve you for your glory. So we know, Lord, as we have in our bulletin here a list of our members and friends who are suffering from physical ailments. We ask you, Lord to be merciful and heal them for work in the kingdom, Lord. We think also, Lord God, of uh, our own uh, leadership team. We had prayer just a few minutes ago, Lord, as you were well well aware and, and knowing where the petition went out that we would have unity in the body. That is our petition, Lord. That is your command in the word. You don't make any provision for a schism in the body. So if a schism comes, Lord, we have to look to you to eradicate the schism. So help us, Lord, not to kick against the goads, but to work one with another regardless of what we think. It's not our view, Lord. It's your view. And we ask you to to right now, Lord, we ask you, Lord, to incise our heart. Cut open our heart. So as pastor who has received the message from the Lord delivers the word that it would in true cut to the very bone and marrow and that you would then apply the balm of Gilead and we would see the beginnings of the healings that you so want for your organized church. So help us, Lord, to get under that bloodstained banner There's only one bloodstained banner of Jesus Christ. Get under the same yoke. Start pulling together in the same direction, Lord. And we would be sure and careful that when we claim the victory, which we know is there, that we will give all glory and all honor and all praise to you. And those who would join me in that petition, let them say amen and hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you. Please turn your Bibles to the book.
1: Of Psalms. Psalm chapter 2. Uh, if you are familiar with the bulletin card, you can see that there is an emphasis on uh, a series. A contemplative thought today is Is respect a postmodern casualty? R E S P E C T. Respect. respect. Uh, we're going to be looking at this uh, from Psalm chapter 2. Uh, our goal here at the church is to communicate the gospel by word and by deed. Kind of interesting that it's it's with our with our lives as as well as with our lips. And now, when you communicate, it already requires uh, that somebody receive. So, who's supposed to receive the communications of the gospel from our lives and lips? It's ourselves first, and then also our neighbors that we live in community with, and also globally those who dwell on this earth with us. So, there's a, a impacting thing which uh, Acts one eight tells us as we. Communicate the Gospel today. We'll be looking at a passage that was written a long time ago, written by David, King David, before, probably before he was a king. Uh, but when you look at Psalm chapter 2, we're going to, uh, to digest this whole passage with the 12 verses. So let us reverently attend to the public reading of God's inerrant, infallible, inspired word as it was given in the original Hebrew. In English it says, why do the heathen or why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? With a question mark. Then it goes on in verse 2, the kings of the earth, they set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away the cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and he'll terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will decree, I will tell of the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of this earth your possession.'" And you shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned. O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling and kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. Let us pray, our Heavenly Father, take the reading of the Word and, and make it an effectual means to salvation. Oh Lord, I pray that you might give us insights as we prepare to come to the Lord's table to know who you are and to know how we should respond to you, the one who sits in heaven. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. This passage is written by David. How do we know that it was written by David? If you have your Bibles open, you'll be able to see at the beginning, it doesn't tell us. So, how can anybody be confident that King David wrote this? I know you're really impressed. Well, if you took your concordance, you'd be able to find that it's repeated in the New Testament uh, by the the writer of the book of Acts. We already went over it a little bit uh, just a few weeks ago in Acts chapter 4, where Luke records that there was some quoting by Peter, the apostle. Peter is quoting from Psalm 2, and he attributes Psalm 2 to David. And that's how we know that David wrote it. So we know this man who had a heart after God's, which is what we know about David. David writes this interesting psalm of only 12 verses. What's in the psalm? What's the theme of it? I learned it when I was about uh, seven, eight years old. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. I learned all those words. He that sits in the heavens shall laugh. That was the one that really stuck. Why would God laugh? The whole idea of this passage is that David is wrestling through and he's trying to make sense of a world that's upside down. He's trying to make of a world that doesn't run like it does in heaven. The Lord's Prayer hasn't been given by Jesus yet, so he wasn't saying, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, but you can just hear it in his heart. He's wishing that people were living as if they were in heaven already. Wow. The key theme is a respect, or shall I say, a lack of respect of God. And how do I get this? Is that when you go through the passage, you're going to find towards the end, which we'll touch on in a few moments, he he argues and he says, um, be wise, O kings, be warned. He said, you should serve the Lord with fear and you should rejoice with trembling. Those two words of fear and trembling, it's like the Christian life for us. We should have a measure of the fear of God and we should have a, have a sense that we're... Um, they were humbled. I went to see Pat Ungama yesterday at Christiana Hospital. And it's really tough to view the gal who was in our church just a few weeks ago. Now she has a tube down her throat that's breathing for her. She has the bandages over her head because they had to go in and remove a tangerine sized mass. Some of you have asked, is it cancerous or not? It's almost irrelevant. She hasn't woken up. And now they have her deep medicated because of seizures and all those things. And it's really interesting when you're dealing with life and death. There's trembling. When we deal with God, we should have that fear of God. We should rejoice with trembling. And that's exactly what uh, Proverbs chapter 1 says. The fear of the Lord is just the beginning of it. It's the beginning of wisdom. Do we have that awe, that respect, that magnificence, that appreciation of our God. Obviously, King David said that a lot of people didn't. There's almost like Rodney Dangerfield, if you remember him uh, from the old days. He said, no respect, no respect. I guess one of the guys did in in the Three Stooges had the same kind of line. Or if if you're more into the genre of music, you might go to Aretha Franklin. She always said she wanted more, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, a little bit more, just a little bit more, just a little bit more. I don't give it justice. But respect is lacking. Is it a casualty of postmodern thinking? Now, some of you would say, well, what is even postmodern thinking? Uh, When you start to digest and understand what postmodernism is, uh, it is not a generation. It's not like the millennials. It's not like the Gen Xers. Whenever I mention the the postmodernism, I'm talking about our cultural zeitgeist. It's our worldview worldview. And the weird thing is all of us are in it now. We've already moved into the postmodern era. We're there. It's not that it's coming. It's already come. The question will be what comes next. But in postmodernism, it's different from the modernism that used to look at science and look and value all these kinds of chemical things and almost tell you everything could be solved by science. Now we've moved beyond that and a lot of people are not satisfied with scientific answers. They don't really care if global warming is substantiated or not by science. They just have a different view that if the majority hold this view, then that's what matters. We've moved into a new era, and it's even crept into the Christian community. It's here. Can we still hang on to the things of the past that were in previous world and life views? Well, I want to argue today that, of course, we have to, because God's truth transcends all the different worldviews that have ever been, and it'll transcend the one that we're in now. And if you go back to Adam and Eve, the same problem is there. They didn't respect God in the Garden of Eden, and the next thing you know, they had troubles. Then God showed them how they needed to be respected as he kicked them out of the garden and showed them some discipline. Now, in today's text, we're looking at the heart of David as he explains these things, and he wants us to get it, and I believe this is helpful for us coming to the Lord's table. You're going to find five different segments in these 12 verses in Psalm 2. The first uh, is, is this interesting question. It's a question that's posed to reveal the lack of respect. He says, why? Why is this happening? And what are the two things that are happening? If you're following along, you're going to be able to see that the two things that are on the agenda is that people are, are struggling. Why do the people rage? And why do they plot? Why do they rage? And why do they plot? Now, of course, he puts it into the context of the leaders of the world. He uses the, the, uh, the Old Testament words, uh, why do the, uh, the goyim, the people, why, and he uses another word right after it in the second couplet of it. But he's trying to say, when you look around the world, why do people struggle so? It's a great introduction because it asks the question of us as well. Are you struggling? Are you raging? I remember that one poem, I guess it's, uh, I looked it up, Dylan Thomas. Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave as... as Close of day, rage, rage against the dying of the light. It's been quoted in quite a few movies. Do we have rage? Are we struggling with things? He says, Why do the people have this? Why do they plot? Why do they set these things in motion? Because they're not respecting God's agenda. And that's how he opens up this particular passage. He encourages us to answer the question by stirring our thoughts. Why do they do this? Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine this vanity? Solomon told us that everything under the sun was pretty much vain. All the striving that you can do, all the accumulation of wealth, all the accomplishment, all the degrees. When you get it all, if you don't have Christ, what have you gained? You understand that he says, why do people still do it then? So after that, he gives some evidence. Uh, In the second portion there, beginning in verse 2, he says there is some evidence submitted why people have a lack of respect. The first evidence is that they position themselves. They establish themselves. They take a position and say, this is what I'm holding on to. In the political arena, you can see that quite often. Why do people support Republicans? Why do they support Democrats? Or why don't they support Republicans and Democrats? They take a position because, because of this, I'm going to be here. The kings of the earth set themselves. He said, the leaders that are around us, they just say, I'm going to dig in and this is who I am. And then he goes on to say that they conspire together. The kings of the earth set themselves and the others take counsel together. Now, it's interesting because on the one hand, it's individualistic. They say, well, this is what I believe, or this is what I'm going to hang on to. And on the other side, they conspire with the others. Why? Because they can't get what they want over there by themselves. They group up. They use the power of dynamics. They conspire together, and it's interesting what brings them together. Can you see it in the text? Why do these people who have all set themselves finally come together and discuss things? Because they have a problem with the Lord. They're against the Lord and against his anointed one, against the ones that he's raised up to be his ambassador, against the one who is going to come and conquer what really is the problem. The people of the earth are raging. They're all in, in this turmoil. And the kings of the earth, the leaders, the, the people who are promoting the zeitgeist, the postmodernism, they are establishing what they think ought to be. They're establishing their own truths and then they're conspiring together because they, they're up against God. They're up against a force that's mightier than the warriors playing basketball. They're up against something that's bigger than them, and they're saying, we need help. And so they conspire together against the Lord and against his anointed, and they say, let us us be in opposition. Let us now, instead of just having our own thoughts and conspiring together, now they're going to say, we're going to cast away the anchor to the ship, and we're going to be free. I found it interesting that the, they're first looking for autonomy, then they look for a conspiracy, and then they look for liberty. We just want to be free from God. Just let us go. We just want to drift through the waters. We want to be able to do what we want to do. And that's what you find being communicated today everywhere. But that's not what Jesus says. You may have heard that that's cool to have that kind of liberty, but I say unto you something different, as we read in Romans chapter 12. After we get through the evidence that this is what's actually happening in the culture that David knows about, he now gives a press conference for God. I'm just trying to use that analogy that if you're in the White House and you're in leadership, when they want to get the word out, they call a press conference. And when the press conference and the guy comes in, whether it's the secretary of state or whether it's the spokesman or whether it's the president himself, they come out and usually there's lots of cameras and people listen. Well, David is giving us that illustration. He says, listen up. This is right from heaven. And if you look at the text, it says from heaven, number one, there is laughter going on up there about what's going on in earth. Then number two, he says, God is not just laughing for a moment. He holds them. With that kind of contempt. And number three, he ends up communicating some information. He says, these are some of the details of my plan. And so if if I back it up for you, I want you to be able to understand that God is first responding with a chuckle. David is trying to say, hey, all of you that are suffering in this world, that are going through the frustrations of life, God is not mocked. He that sits in the heavens is just sitting up there laughing and shaking his head at us. Why are you kicking against the goads? It's what he said to Saul on the road to Damascus. Why don't you just get in line? Why don't you do what I'm bidding you to do? Why are you doing what seems right in your own eyes? He that sits in the heavens on the throne just simply laughs. Get that. What a sovereign God. He's not trembling, he's not afraid. There's nothing that can be done on this earth. There's nobody that can be elected into the White House this fall that is going to make God tremble. He that sits in the heavens can laugh at our fears and anxieties. And he is going to hold us in derision. I have had a tough time understanding that word, but it's a mocked state. God just looks at us and says, you guys are Sorry. <laughs> You're just sorry, trying to solve all your problems, leaning on your own understanding. Didn't you listen to the scripture that says, trust in the Lord? Didn't you listen to the sense that when Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God? You see, this is the struggle. And he says, hey, press conference. God is not upset and he's not wearied. He's almost sitting there just saying, Come on, get over it. Now, he sits in the heavens, he laughs, he holds them in derision. And then he says, I have a master plan. We have a sovereign God. We believe that God providentially orders the affairs of this earth. There's not even a maverick molecule. And if you look at the text, you're going to be able to understand how that unfolds. Because he says, I have set my king upon my holy hill in Zion. I have already got a better plan than anything you guys have tried to conspire and try to set up. I am going to establish my kingdom. I even know the king. This day I've begotten him. That's Jesus. We all know the same phrasing in John three sixteen. For God the Father loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's what he's saying all the way back in Psalm 2. He says, "I have a plan upon my holy hill, I'm going to set my son. I am going to bring hope to this world." And when God the Father is going to bring the son, there's not going to be any more laughter. When the wrath of God was poured out about on Christ on that holy hill, the sky was darkened. The earth shook. For the wrath of God had to be met with the love of God. It has been decreed from before time. And we should be able to see that. That is why he says, if, you, if the Son of God simply asked, I will give you all these other things. Satan had tempted Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, that I'll give you the kingdom if you just bow down and worship me. And now we find that the Son already says that if he speaks to the Father, all that is in this world is going to be given to him. It's really interesting, to the ends of the earth. You can notice the tone of this speaking. It is with wrath, with fury, with displeasure. God is not just the Santa Claus upstairs. He's not the friend of Barney, the purple dinosaur. Everything's not just wonderful for God. When he sees sin, he will surely punish it. Exodus 34, 7 tells us that he cannot clear even one. Everyone has to be paid in full. But he has a plan it includes the replacement king, one who will be one that we can trust, one who will take care of things to the detail. There is a kingdom that he will usher in, and it will be a kingdom out of this world that will last for eternity. And notice the commitment to the plan. He says that he'll break in pieces the potter's vessel, and he will, he will do things that the original people were saying, we want to cast away the cords from us. And now the father says, I'm going to break, not only they want to break my bands asunder. He says, I'm going to crush them like a potter's vessel. Romans 9. That's the God we're talking about. As we come to the Lord's table today, I want to encourage you to don't trivialize the reality of our God. But it doesn't just end there. David doesn't finish the psalm by saying that God is going to trample the people and and, uh, and he's going to crush those who have uprisings against him. No, it says that God has some beauty for us. It is a call. It is a guidance from God to man. He gives counsel in the remaining verses where he says, Be wise therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord. And he says, Rejoice in the Lord. These five things that he comes about, he says, He says you would be wise to change. Secondly, he says, you should see that the wrath of God is real and it's coming. Thirdly, he says, you should adjust your agenda by showing more respect to God. You ought to seek him, not second, but first. You ought to trust in the Lord with all your heart, not just a portion of your heart. You ought to be able to, to not lean on your own understanding. And he says, you should enjoy the work that God has for you, and you should forsake all other things. You should kiss the sun, lest he be angry. Kiss the sun. What an interesting illustration. I told you when I learned this as a little guy, I had never kissed anybody, I guess, except mom. When the Bible said that he that sits in the heavens shall laugh, that was pretty cool. But then it got to the end there. It says, kiss the son, lest you be angry. That was a little bit weird, the idea of kissing Jesus. Do we? Is this optional? When David is giving us this psalm, which is the word of God, he is now trying to tell us to move away from all the intellectual stuff, all the stuff and that is caught up with the way the world is like this, with their struggle and all the conspiracies against God that says we want to be free, free, free. And now he says, don't be free. Don't run away from God. He says, run to God with an embrace. Run to God and kiss the Son, Kiss the Son, Embrace him. Love him. And there's a little bit of an interesting twist on that kiss. Because in scripture there's a, there is an admonition that we should greet each other with a holy kiss. It's an interesting application. There's also another guy who greeted Jesus with a kiss. So so there's a, there's a lot of twisted things that are wrapped up in this idea of kissing the son. But the truth would be is that when Judas came to kiss Jesus, it should have been because he Respected him because he admired him because he valued him. Kiss the son, embrace him with all you have, lest the son be angry. Because when his wrath is kindled a little and it's kindled quickly, what kindles the wrath of the son? Sin. He says, You don't want to take sin there. That's why in Romans chapter 6, well, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? What's the answer? never there should not even be another sin that you willfully choose to engage in because it should be cast away we ought to kiss the son that his anger be not stirred and we perish in the way I want to encourage you as we come to the Lord's table I'm asking this application question is the Lord laughing at you is he laughing at me and help me out why would he laugh at us Why would God laugh at anybody? You remember the text? Why do the people rage? And why do they plot their own agendas? You see, God laughs at people who are raging, who are trying to make something out of their life. God laughs at people who are trying to plot out their own path and run their own world. God laughs at that. Does he laugh at you? Because he doesn't laugh at those whom he says, come and come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden. I will give you rest. He doesn't laugh at those who leave things behind and come and follow. You see, when you look through the New Testament, you'll find that disciples, they leave things behind and they move forward. They follow the great shepherd like sheep following the real shepherd. See, he doesn't laugh at those things. And then the last question is, have you, when was the last time you kissed the sun? I think of David out there in the wilderness, possibly, and in Gedi, if he wrote it there. And what was it like? He had been anointed to be king, and it was going to be 15 years or so before he was even going to become the king. And during those 15 years, javelins were thrown at him by other guys who were Christians. Um, not Christians, but, but the king was anointed. He was the guy Saul, and he was trying to kill David, and all these things don't make sense. He that sits in the heavens can chuckle. But he will bring things to pass because David was going to sit on that throne and it was going to be a son of David that was going to accomplish what the kingdom needed most. And that was a victory over death because the wages of our sin is death and only Jesus could conquer death because he rose from the dead on the third day and we're going to show forth his death and his conquering in just a moment. I ask this question of you. Have you kissed the sun? Are you kissing the Son now or is his wrath kindled against us? Let us come to the Lord's table, running to him like the prodigal running to our heavenly Father, and I can be assuring you that he will love you, and he'll meet us wherever we need to be. He'll he'll kill the fatted calf for us, he'll put the robe on us, the ring on our finger, and he says that which is lost is found. That's the kind of love. That our God has for us. Dear Lord Jesus, as we come now to prepare for the communion table, as the men come forward, I do pray that you'll help us to do what what the Apostle Paul taught the church in Corinth to do is to examine ourselves. Lord, the mirror last week was supposed to be for the people who are spiritual. Lord, today the mirror is for all of us that are coming to to the Lord's table to come and dine, to see. If there's any wicked way in us that needs to be confessed, that will be able to bring us into fellowship. Oh, Lord, the reason that the communion is served monthly or time and time again is to show forth why the Lord had to die. It is to show that the Lord wasn't sitting in the heavens laughing forever. He actually had to grimace as the full wrath of God upon sin was poured out at Calvary. Lord, I thank you that we know this good news. I'm thanking you that it's already been done, that no more needs to be accomplished. To die, paid in full. Lord, I thank you that the King of Glory has gone to the to Mount Zion and that the plan that you enacted all the way back with David has not only been fulfilled, but now the ramifications of it are ours. Lord, as we come to the table, help us to come joyfully. For we are the forgiven people of God, in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread. And I'm going to be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And uh, as I indicated, there was some confusion about communion. In 1 Corinthians 11, if you wanted to follow along, you'll be able to see that it, it was supposed to be a beautiful thing. And it got messed up. The chapter heading in my Bible tells, tells us an interesting phrase when it says uh, the Lord's Supper. Uh, it, was, it was the abuse of the Lord's Supper. It says, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you came together, it wasn't for the better. It was for the worse. In the first place, when you came together as the church, I hear that there were divisions among you. And he says, I partially believe it. For there may be or there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you come to eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and gets drunk. What? Verse 22. He almost is saying, really, you guys, are you church? He says, Do you not have houses to do your eating and drinking in? Or do you despise, you have disrespect for the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I applaud you for this? He says, I can't. So he says, I received this directly from Jesus. On the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you do this, as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and the blood of our Lord. So, he says, have respect. Let a person examine himself first. Then, and so then, eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. And this is why many of you have experienced it. And you can see how he says, you're weak and ill and some have died. If we would simply judge ourselves, truly, we would not be judged. For when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. And when when they come together, so that it will not be to bring about more judgment. He says, I'll give you more instruction when I see you. Right now, we are come to the Lord's table. This instruction from the Apostle Paul is for each one of us. Let's come to the table and let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you will set apart these things. We are not eating and drinking to be able to get lunch. We are eating and drinking to show forth your death, to to remind us about how the wrath of God had to be poured out so that the laughter of God over man's plans could be stopped. Stopped. Oh, Lord, I pray that you will will set apart these common elements of bread and of juice. And I pray that you will bring to pass within each one of us that spirit of joy and of unity and community. I pray that we might know that we are the children of God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. On the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And after he broke it, as I've read, he said, this is my body. It's broken for you. Please take the bread and hold it that we might show our unity in Christ as we partake together. This is only about the Lord's death. Whatever else is going on in your mind, you ought to be going back to the cross right now and saying, thank you, Jesus. You did this for me. You don't have to go back to Israel and see it. There's no cross hanging there now. But when you understand that he died for you, for us, that's why he said, this is my body. It's broken for you. Eat ye of it. In the same manner he took the cup after supper and he said this is the cup in the new covenant in my blood this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim my death please hold on to the cup so we may partake together You see this cup? It's not the cup that Jesus drank. He drank the bitter cup to be able to so that we could drink the sweet cup. This is in symbol, not in the reality. This is not the blood of Jesus, but as we drink it, we understand that his blood had to be spilt for us. Jesus said, "Drink ye of it." Oh Lord, I pray that you will grant to us the sweetness that we've just tasted in communion. That the symbolic food that we've consumed will strengthen us spiritually. Oh Lord, I pray that we might be able to practice what the Apostle Paul reminded us as he was given directions directly from Jesus that the body of Christ might have this in common, regardless of denomination, regardless of where we come from, regardless of nationality, we are one body in Christ because we are forgiven, because we're under the blood of Christ. We thank you in this sweet communion that we see this message repeated again in Jesus name. Amen.